Blog Talk Radio. shake is not the only thing um, 
about the only thing that's going to carry him and our offense, and no play action isn't the only thing that's going to carry. But, but you did see a ton of elements that I think a lot of the fan base has been has been calling for, a lot of us have been calling for on the site. It, it just seems like things were so much more fluid um, because there was a, a varied mix of plays. We saw um, more passing on first down. We saw you know a much less predictable second and third down. It, it just seemed like overall, um, you know, Hunt took a lot of the things that he did right at the end of last year um, and, and then mixed in, you know, a lot of things that, that you find, you know, growing and maturing quarterbacks uh, really put in there. Obviously his running was was just as good as, as, as ever in that one. I think that, that that really did help, you know, kind of win the day, but, that effective running from him and Phillips and, I mean, Moore doesn't happen without him really, you know, mixing up the passing, finding those options downfield, even if it's seven to ten yards downfield. Um, you know, we only had, I think it was, a, I guess I wrote in the article, it was 11 or 12 bubble screens total. And, and when you run 80 plays, I mean, and that's the number that, that McDonald was looking for. And when you run 80 plays, that's it's really, uh, that that's really going to, you know, make a big impact and 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 show that yes, these bubble screens are important and yes, we're going to run them. But you you look at how the defense was suddenly out there and not over the middle, and we saw more plays going over the middle later on. Um, we saw a lot more dives inside as, as the defense had kind of spread itself a little too thin. So I, I really, really, really um, I like what I saw the first time. I liked it even more the second time when I rewatched it um, when I wrote the article. So. Yeah, just just tons of, of positive things going on, and it, that might be surprising to a lot of us after the first game, but um, I think there's a lot to build on here. Yeah, for sure. Just to, it seemed like there was a, a way more coherent idea of what the offense was supposed to be um, with Hunt in there rather than Wilson, where you know they 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 were able to throw the screen passes and they had some running plays, but it didn't seem like Wilson was ready to to make the progression to what the offense is designed to do, which is to open up the middle and then force the defense to, to on every play, respect multiple options, which, which you know, as we know, is the whole idea behind the offense. There's always, a, there, I mean, on all those screen passes, there's uh, generally going to be a downfield passing option as well as a run option, as well as Hunch and always just take off and scramble. So it's really tough, um, and you see a lot of, teams do it like, like if you love watching Auburn game like they're just masterful in their execution and obviously Syracuse isn't there yet um and they don't have the athletes like Auburn but I think throughout the season we're just going to keep on seeing this offense go faster um 82 plays is pretty nice but you I mean if you watch the the Philadelphia Eagles play last night Chip Kelly does you know a lot of similar things even in the NFL like they had that uh that uh, I forget what they ESPN called it but um that clock that showed how fast the offense is moving and there's definitely room to go up, which is exciting because you you just know that as, as these players, some of whom were playing their first game due to injury on off, on the offensive line, um, move and get more used to game speed for the season. Like there's no reason why this offense can't start putting together 90 play games and and even move quicker with more fluency. So it, it's it was it was a good it was a very good performance for us fans who were very nervous heading. Maybe not heading into this game, but nervous for what the season looks like. And now it seems more like we're on the track that we thought we were heading into the season after a good 2013. Yeah, I think that's a great point there. Considering that, for the most part, um, I think game one was just kind of getting out a lot of a lot of bad habits and things like that. It looks like game two, um, we were able to, to have the, uh, the up-tempo, no-huddle offense for pretty much the entire game. Um, we were able to rotate players in and out pretty flawlessly. Uh, there were never any too many men on the field. There were very few times when we really got to the end of that play clock, obviously, with that hurry-up. Um, there was very little confusion at the line. We saw uh, Hunt making some great reads, even pre-snap, um, and calling audibles. I mean, there, there were a lot of guys that were either in their first action overall or in their first action in this offense. Um, I know for the most part uh, we saw uh, this team running three plays every every, every minute. And and you know what, like for a college offense, especially one that's still growing into what it could be, um, I, I really like it. I, I think that this is the beginning of something, you know, much more impressive. 
granted, we've already faced the two easiest opponents of the year, so it only gets harder from here. But I think it's well, good that we we think we face the two easiest opponents, but there's a a certain fair. game in in mid October that could end up being easier, <laughs> or the Villanova game. This is true. You always forget that 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 in the ACC, there's always there's always one game that's easier than any other game you played all year. It might not be the same team every time, but it does exist. Yeah. Although, at least they put up some points this weekend. Uh, Wake Forest, which you all, if you listen to this podcast on any, with any regularity, probably know that we're referring to Wake Forest. Um, they played Utah State, and they didn't get totally crushed by Chucky Keaton, so that was good. Yeah, but they had negative 23 rushing yards, and they threw the ball 50 oh. times, and they completed 20 passes. I mean, what do you, you know, baby steps. <laughs> Backwards baby steps. Better than SMU, who I, I looked up earlier because I was writing something. SMU has negative 14 rushing yards on the season. I mean, they're, the Mustangs are in, they're in terrible, terrible shape, which is and weird. And them this weekend. That game's going to be 73 to, to nothing. Maybe worse. I, mean, I, I feel bad because, you know what, like, SMU has, has the athletes to win six games, especially in that conference. Like, it's all there, and, like, they have the recruiting. And even people saying, like, wow, like, you know, they really tripped and fell. Nobody's saying, okay, now they're going to lie down for another few seasons. Everyone's like, okay, whoever gets this SMU job is going to be pretty much, like, given the ideal scenario. Like, if you were going to start a team or a program from scratch, um, you know, SMU kind of has a large majority of the factor you would want. It's weird because June Jones has been doing a really good job there, and I don't know, maybe he just got burnt out by coaching finally, and just, I mean, maybe it's for the best that he hunted up in, in after two games, but it is strange because it's not like they hadn't been winning for years. Like, they, they've been making bowls, and it seemed like he really had things turned around. Uh, but the, obviously through two games was not the case, considering they had – Toward like six points total and couldn't get past the line of scrimmage, but uh, not to derail us into an SMU podcast. So that's not any anything anyone wants to listen to. I know. I mean, if if we're playing American Athletic Conference bingo in terms of teams we've focused on, SMU has not yet checked checked that box off. Nope. I don't think we've ever talked about them, but would have been better. We have either. The better streaks to keep alive. <laughs> I almost want to watch that A and M game just to see what happens because I, I feel like it should really get out of hand. Yeah, same. I have like I have this sick desire to, to see what happens, and I, I mean, I've also already put uh, Kenny Hill and the uh, and the A and M um, kicking team in my starting lineup for fantasy, so that should be entertaining. Oh. That line's only like thirty-two and a half, too, which seems absurdly low, all things considered. And and it's hard to it's hard to argue that a thirty-two point line is low, but this it just I can't see. Like SMU has to play a hell of a game. They haven't lost. I mean, they lost by by thirty-seven in North Texas. So if you're if you're a gambling person and want to to bet a giant over, a giant over, uh, Texas A&M minus thirty-two and a half. Yeah, that sounds. I'd be curious if the, the payout is there. Just because, I mean, that that, that just sounds like, I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're a gambling addict, I mean, <laughs> that sounds like a perfect, um, you know, kind of cap on a five-game parlay at the casino. Yeah, that or, uh, now there were a couple others that looked interesting. Virginia is a 14-point doctor for BYU, who they beat last year, so. Oh, I don't but buy that at all. BYU is also really good. That's tough. You have to take Virginia. Oh, that's what, that would be my bet if I was a betting man. But especially because that defense is pretty good, and I think BYU will win. But I think that'll yeah, even if they don't win, yeah, it's gonna be a close game. Yep. Super Virginia making us look so ridiculous from all all the. I mean, we don't look really. Everyone looks ridiculous because no one expected Virginia to be anything, and they went out and beat Louisville. Just the ACC, the ACC, the postal. So it's weirder than we thought it was, which is unbelievable. The entire conference is weirder than we thought it was. Like, I'm sticking on my guns on what I said in the comments 
yesterday under the power rankings. Two through 13 are up in the air. It's, it's yeah, it's real strange. Like, I'm pretty sure so far that NC State's bad, and I'm pretty sure Georgia Tech's bad, but, I mean, we all know about Georgia Tech. They can do anything at any time. NC State finally came around and beat someone by, by some points this weekend, um, and they should continue to get better. So it's just uh, I would never want to spend any type of, like, real money gambling on, on ACC games, especially Coastal games. Um, and even, like, this weekend, like, the smart better would say that Florida State should beat Clemson by that, like, 20 or 21-point line. But Florida State really hasn't looked like like they did last year, so you can't just automatically assume they're going to blow Clemson out by, by like, they, like they did in uh, Death Valley last year. But I do I think, still think they're a safe, safe team to assume will win the whole thing. I, I don't see any of these ACC teams beating Florida State this year, even if Florida State just toasts. Yeah, I mean, FSU is definitely the, the, the best team in the ACC. And I think even if the score doesn't uh, reflect it, they're going to sco- they're gonna have a pretty dominating win over Clemson. I mean, they beat the Citadel, what, 37-12? Yeah. And, and, I mean, that game was well out of hand. That 25-point margin doesn't even begin to tell the story of how one-sided it was. So I, I could see them being one of those games, one, one of those teams this year. Maybe maybe they're starting to morph into an Alabama type of yeah you kind of plot it around but you still won thirty five nothing and nobody really cares like next week let's go yeah it's uh, I don't know I'm excited to end ACC play even if it's you know I'm sure a couple people will think that's this weekend but it is not because Maryland is gone um, but I I'm 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 worried about this what do you think about the Maryland team I'm I'm a little concerned because they seem to have all the pieces that we don't, we aren't te- uh, generally able to stop. And last year, those guys weren't playing, and they scored a lot of points this weekend against West Virginia. Although West Virginia doesn't deep play defense, so I don't know how much to read into that. Right, I, I think I think Maryland, just like last year, presents um, some good and bad elements for us. You know, I think that their their offensive line is porous, and that bodes well. I think that they have a sizable pass rush, which should be interesting. I mean, it's it's never easy to get to hunt. It's never easy to get to hunt. Um, and I guess I think, like, you know, it's going to be a test for them to see to see just how much you know, like just how much they can get penetration in the backfield, how much they can stop the run. I mean, when you have conceivably 18 guys touching the ball on Syracuse, which is what happened last weekend, it's just it's impossible to game plan for all of them. Um, I think where I'm most concerned is, is obviously Diggs and Long um, at the receiver positions. I do think, though, if we can get a solid pass rush and really get in that backfield early on Brown, they're going to be... Um, kind of going to be relegated to quick passes, which is going to negate the benefits of long and digs. And, and, and QB sneaks, which, you know, Brown's made of tissue paper, as, as his uh, career health record shown. So I, I think that there's concerns for sure, but um, I think Syracuse has the pieces to win this game. Yeah, I mean, we're favored for a reason. Um, Brown Brown scrambling concerns me just because he's very good at it, and Syracuse has proven time and time again to not be good at defending it. As a passer, I'm more concerned about the receivers they have, obviously, than Brown. Brown's not having a very group, you know, he's not having a great year throwing the ball. He has 54% completion percentage. He's only doing about just over six yards per attempt, which isn't great. Only four touchdowns, three interceptions. And none of those receivers have really broken out for for huge games, I mean, Dids has solid numbers. Wand has been okay, but like they haven't really, they don't seem to be in tune as a, as a passing offense. And then, as a as an offense as a whole, they're incredibly one dimensional. They just don't seem to want to run the ball with the running back. Uh, Wes Brown didn't even play this weekend. I don't know if we've learned why that was, but he was the only one really doing anything special, averaging five and a half yards a carry, and he just wasn't in the game against West Virginia. So I don't know if he'll play this weekend, but. 
my hope is that Schaefer put up against a, a team that's so one-dimensional and not Georgia Tech playing a triple option will we'll be able to shut down Brown and, and keep the receivers at least contained. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that this game is going to kind of rise and fall um, not on not on what we can do necessarily, but what Maryland's defense can't, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, we didn't – our offense was not what it is now when we played Maryland last year, and we stored – you know, we didn't store a bunch of points, but we, we did what we needed to do, even though Hunt was right in the middle of that, like, period where he couldn't really throw more than 100 yards and – and it's it sure seems like we're out of that now, and we've we've moved on into a a more balanced uh, part of of this offense, uh, especially with the five run. Like you said, we have so many guys who can touch the ball. We don't have any superstars, but just a lot of guys who are op- legitimate options. And people have worried, like we're getting a little worried about you know PTG didn't look great, and Morris and and McFarlane, uh, you know, weren't really huge factors this weekend. But I think this might just be a year where where every player will break out at a different time. And, and one game, Morris might only get five touches, and another, he might just have the hot hand and rush 16 times and pick up 90 yards and a couple touchdowns. So I still think they're all capable players. And I think the receiving core, you know, still we, don't, we still don't have that go-to receiver. Um, but we have a lot of guys who can catch the ball. And then I, I still think uh, Stephen Ishmael is going to continue getting better. I mean, that catch he made over the middle, um, I think on the first touchdown drive, was, was awesome. Yeah, I just think overall, you know, we're not going to have, I mean, at least we don't right now, have that sort of, you know, elite receiver and that elite running back. And that that sucks, except for the fact that if you have five very good running backs and you have, you know, seven to ten pretty good receivers, I feel like it's the same, if not better, because... Now you have you force the defense to the game plan for multiple players. You you always have fresh legs. There's just so many benefits to the way uh, the way this offense operates. I think it's a game of uh, Russian roulette too, though, because you know at some point um, it, it starts to become a negative recruiting tool for for our competition. Of you know like hey, if you go to Syracuse, like you're never going to be the guy. Like, there's always going to be you and five other guys, and, like, yeah, you might win some games, but, you know, you're not going to be you're not going to be the stud back, and we don't have to worry about that right now, but I, I think long-term, it's going to be interesting how recruiting evolves if we continue, um, you know, running a kind of offense by committee. Yeah, but I think with with, with high school players who are who are generally stars on their team, like they're never going to worry. I don't. Or they shouldn't worry about that because if they really believe that they're going to be a top line player, I mean, there's no. If we one year come out and have one stud receiver and and two stud running backs instead of five pretty good ones, I mean, those guys are going to touch the ball. So I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I think it's more of a result of no one's emerged from the group so much where they should be featured rather than not have then the game plan being to play 18 guys. I think in an ideal world you probably don't play that many, but that's just the situation now, and, and it's better than playing the same, you know, three receivers and two backs and having them get tired out and everyone else be bummed out on the bench. So if it's all the same this year, I, I don't see any problem with playing so many, but I think down the road I'm sure it'll it, we won't have this situation every year. It just guys will emerge. And it might happen okay. during the season, I mean. Last year we saw it happen with Alvin Tornelius. He didn't play at all the first three quarters of the season and was our best receiver by the end, and now he's back in the in the pack again this year. So you never really know what's going to happen during the course of a year. No, I completely agree there. I mean, you know, going into last year, who knew that, that Hunt was going to take over when he did and, and kind of change the course of the offense. So things like that do happen all the time. Um, and kind of staying in the vein of, of a lot of contributors, though, uh, freshman has, has gotten, I think, a ton of burn so far. Who's been most impressive to you? Because I feel like there's three obvious candidates, and, and I think that you could go with any of them for some very different reasons. Um, well, the, the the one right off the bat is Irv Phillips, who I'm 
I enjoyed watching it, if only because he's from my neck of the woods over here in Connecticut. He just looked tremendous. I mean, he had this burst that didn't seem like anyone else on our team had really shown. And, you know, I, I know we were told he was in a play, so I wasn't shocked to see him back there for a series. I was shocked to see him get the ball, what, like four times in five plays? And, and good on, on McDonald for just saying, you know, if this kid's going to cut up for six yards every time, let's see what he can do. So he, he put up a, a really good stat line. I think, you know, they started teeing in him at the end, and he didn't get into the end zone. I was, I was kind of uh, bummed out for him when he came a yard short. Um, and I know he talked about that later in the week too, but uh, and I was I was kind of I think I tweeted like give him the ball at the one, but Hunt took it. But um, I mean that was just a surprise to see him get that kind of consistent play, and uh, I'm kind of glad he did. I thought it was a a good move by McDonald just to leave him out there, especially the, the game wasn't it wasn't over by any means, but it wasn't quite uh, you know it wasn't a dire situation where we wanted to make sure we had our our most trusted guys in. But it was still a pretty decent, you know, leverage situation for him to to get some runs. So it was real cool. Um, and then I thought Zaire Franklin played really well in, you know, the time he had. Uh, it was mostly garbage time, but he swatted down I think two passes in the same drive. He just looked like a really heady player. I mean, usually it takes a while for defensive players and pass rushers to to have that, you know, mindset to, to if you're not going to get to the passer, try to get your hands up. And he was doing it in his first game of major playing time. And then, uh, not a freshman, but Wayne Williams, I thought, played really well um, and showed some, some good awareness uh, on that uh, Marquez uh, Hodge touchdown fumble return when Hodge stopped, and it was Wayne who, A, told him to start running again because he obviously hadn't heard the whistle, and B, threw a, a block to the one guy that might have been able to catch him. So those guys, and then obviously the, the Ishmaels and the Trustuses who played a lot, but those were the three that really stuck out to me in terms of new players. Yeah, I mean... Irv in particular, you know, we, I, I know we talked about him in the preview uh, podcast, and then it was funny because I feel like he really wasn't a big focus on a lot of uh, a lot of other previews at all. And then I remember the comment section just kind of going, "Wait, who the hell is this guy?" Um, pretty much like in unison when he had those four straight runs, and he he came on a little bit later in the quarter um, with some more great runs. It, it, you're right, though. He, he does possess this uh, this speed that just nobody else in the team really seems to have. Um, and you know what? We're, we're running the same play with him, and, and I guess that to some seems like a concern, and I'm not going to say it isn't. But at the same time, like we ran the same counter play four times with him in a row, and he gained like one yard, I think nine yards, six yards, and like 20 yards. So, you know, like if I... If, Running the same four plays um, for him, and then the same thing with Amin Moore. Different, not not a counter on that case, but you know, if you're going to run the same four plays for him, the same play four times in a row for him, and you know, he's going to bust one of them open for 50 yards. Like I'll do that every single time. Oh, yeah, there's no reason not to. And it wasn't like we were playing like some downtrodden non-Villanova FCS team. I, I still think Central Michigan's probably a pretty decent team, and they got hit with a really awful situation, losing their, their star running back right before the game for apparently really stupid reasons. Um, but, I mean, I don't think this is a, a bad team by any means. So they probably would have stopped a, a lesser running back running that, that play every time. But Phillips just seemed to have some, some really strong athleticism um, that we don't have too many guys with. So it, it proved why the coaches were so quick to – single him out in the preseason and say he's in a play because there really isn't a lot of reason for him to. But if he's gonna get, if he's gonna be a factor, I mean, obviously that's that's great. No, I completely agree there. I, I don't think it's worth keeping him on the bench. Um especially if you know, I brought this up in in the recap. While while the running game was great, we I mean we amassed two hundred and eighty nine yards on the ground. You take out Stupid, I know. You take out Hunt, you take out, I mean, Moore, you take out Phillips, and PTG, Morris, and McFarlane with Ghost, and they got carries. Yeah, I think they all played at least 10 snaps, all five of them. I saw, so they were all in there. It's actually kind of funny because if you were going to say, you know, out of these five, who are the two running backs that aren't going to be a major factor this year? Um, before the Nova game, at least, I probably would have said Phillips and Amin Moore, and, and they ended up being the, the stars of the game. I mean, you know what, I, I think that's how 
that's how programs get better. And when you can, like, when we were at SU, especially the, the first few years you were there, if we said, oh, are our starters out for any position, there was no depth. There was nobody that you could plug in and go, this is a player that should be playing in a power conference in D1. And now I feel like we have, there's like a plethora of guys to just toss in at various positions, I mean, outside of the secondary, which is a whole other story. But, you know, we have guys. We have guys who can make plays. We have guys who can come off the bench um, with little to no experience and, and contribute. And, you know, to me, that that's kind of a great building block moment to know that, like, that we can do that, that we have done that in recent years and that we're continuing to do so even more now. I mean, the first year I was I was at Syracuse, we didn't have uh, big-time football depth or big-time football starters in most positions, so it's definitely an upgrade from that. Um, but, yeah, I I definitely think it's a good sign. Um, in, in years past, like, there's no way we would have played this many freshmen. I think we were, like, we, we've hit that point where we're, we're not worried about um, burning red shirts in terms of, like, needing to – just for number reasons, but we're also not now hoarding freshmen who could be contributing. We're, we've hit that nice balance where we know exactly the guys that we need to be playing and who is going to get run and who we're, you know, hopefully going to have some comfortable leads to, to throw out there, but we're not doing it just because we absolutely need a player. So it's it's definitely nice to see, you know, the freshmen who are out there getting getting good playing time and making impacts right away. No, I totally agree there. I guess it's about halftime, so I guess we'll uh quick shout-out to our sponsors once again. Uh, Trainings and Absolute Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. As you mentioned, they're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and info. There's 150,000-plus uh, titles up on Audible.com. So you can listen to any of them on whatever device you have on hand, whether that's an iPhone or your laptop, or an iPad, or some 128-gig tablet, or whatever the hell it may be, any of those things. Um, and if you sign up at our URL, which is audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician, you can get yourself a free audiobook and a one-month free trial of the service. Um, so a book that I would recommend be, actually found this one today, uh, book Toss. It's a, uh, by Boomer Esiason, noted Maryland alum. Uh, basically a fictional account of his team, the New York Stars, and the trouble their quarterback is into. It's actually like a cool book from the synopsis. Yeah, I would, I would go check that out. I did not know that Boomer Esiason was an acclaimed fiction writer and now you know. Yeah, I would have never guessed that Boomer would have written a fiction book, but I guess <laughs> yeah, here we more are. Boomer than what we thought. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say give it a try. You, you all now have the the keys to a free download, so you are more than welcome to do that. But now the other part of halftime, beer. So uh, what have you been drinking, Dan? Uh, as promised last week, I had a lot of things. Um, my, my birthday was on Friday, so I, I both got a nice day late birthday present with the Syracuse win. But on Friday I went down to Brooklyn to Torst, which is a fairly well-known beer bar down there. Um, unless you, you know, but if you don't know about it, you might not find it because it's literally just like there was no sign on the on the door. It's just like a little thing outside. So it took us a, a minute to actually find it on the street. But um, just a straight up beer bar. That's all they have, uh, and it was fantastic. I had a couple different things. I tried to stick with the Evil Twin stuff, which is the brewery whose uh, the brewmaster runs owns the bar. I had their Falco uh, IPA, which was you know solid. Um, all their stuff is. is that I had at least was was fairly hoppy. All the IPA stuff wasn't, um, but you know, really good flavor. Um, I enjoyed that. Uh, probably the best one from Evil Twin I had was Ron and the Beast Ryan, which is a saison. 
but it had a really uh it, it was it was it was quite dark but it had a a really nice finish and it wasn't you know it wasn't one of those super dark beers that that lingers too long it was a really drinkable for what it was and and really solid flavor um kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what was going on with it just as there was so much so many different uh tastes there but i would definitely recommend it if you get down there i'm not sure how easy it is to find elsewhere um and i was also you know everything there is like seven to ten percent so and it's also like you said last week it's, it's fairly affordable for a new york bar i mean 14 ounce pours of really uh impressive beers were like six or seven bucks so if you if you're in New York, I mean that you're not going to beat that many places, and that's usually what you're paying for like a, a Blue Moon or a Stella. So definitely can't complain about the price. Um, after that, I had Fringe by, uh, which wasn't by Evil Twin. It's by Pretty Things Beer and Ale, um, which is just a pale ale. Again, really solid, drinkable, uh, especially after some of the darker beers. It was nice to, to end up with. And then after that, we went back to Manhattan. Um, I had my first Pumpkin of the year which was available at the bar we went to uh, in the village, uh, which was great, as always. Uh, so glad to get that going. It's a little colder up here now, so it's starting to feel like the right time. And then uh, I had a Flower Power from Mythica beer, which I hadn't had. I don't know if I'd had that since I left upstate New York. Um, so that was a nice callback to that as well. Uh, so definitely a good beer weekend. Beer. Yeah, it's really good. Like I wish, I wish we got it out here. I know whenever I talk to people about trades or anything like that, one of the first things they say is, "Do you have flower power? Can you throw one or two in there?" It looks like it's a little overlooked in terms of the upstate New York brews, but all the ones I've had from them are really good. Yeah, I had their. Uh, I got some of the stuff from their Belgian box last year too, and those are actually really enjoyable as well. Yeah, I haven't had too much, but I've always enjoyed what I've had. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try to look out for more of their stuff and make a point of it. Uh, hopefully for the now announced 8 p.m. kickoff for MetLife, so I'm going to have a good uh, five-hour tailgate session before that, which will be good. Very nice. Yeah, I, I couldn't uh, go with next time today, so I'm very happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> the next time I'm in Syracuse, I might try to make. Well, I'll be there for at least a few days. So I might try to. Maybe get down to Ethica Brewing. That'd be nice. Because it's not getting colder here, because there's a bunch of tropical storms happening in Mexico, uh, there's a bunch of uh, warm fronts. It's like 90 degrees and disgusting here every single day now. Pretty gross. Nobody wants to be outside. So, yeah, I've been drinking IPAs uh, and lighter ones at that. Um so some of the ones I've had in the last week, uh, Noble Ale Works, which is uh, down in Orange County, they have their uh, their showers series where they, they highlight uh, one strand of hops um, in, in their beers. It's pretty much the same recipe. They just highlight different hops, so obviously they take on some different flavors. Uh, the one I had last week was Chinook Showers, using Chinook hops, single hop. Uh, very, very good beer. They don't really get outside of California, so if you're listening in California um, and you haven't gotten it, I'd say hurry up and do so. Um, if not, say maybe just try to look out for it the next time you're in the state. For some reason, I ran into Pliny like five or six times this past week. I don't It's kind of a, a weird coincidence. and Never wanted to turn down Pliny, so I had to snag some of that. Um also had Stone has their uh, their new collaboration, yeah, Shoko Veza, uh, Mocha Stout. It's, it's got a really great um, great mix of like hot chocolate, coffee, um, and then like the the finish has a really nice um, cinnamon and nutmeg note. There's even some uh, some chili peppers in there to like really highlight that cinnamon. But a, a really enjoyable beer, really easy to drink. Um, Probably one of their better collaborations that they've done um, in some time. And I also got to enjoy um, Ursa Minor from uh, from Craftsman. They're uh, one of the oldest breweries um, in L.A., but they they never made a tap room. They just have a couple bars um, around the city that they carry them. And uh, the Flanders Red... It's got like some some interesting sour elements. Just a really good beer. Um, again, tap only, but 
I felt like um, it was a good decision considering I was just kind of looking at a massive uh, beer selection and, and kind of wandering around in the dark. Plus, I had to drive, so I knew it wasn't going for me too aggressive. That was beer. Sounds like a busy week for both of us, although you you, you generally have plenty to, to go on. But, uh, <laughs> it's a nice way to say I drink too much, man. I, I didn't say that. <laughs> now that falls here, hopefully I'll have more excuses to sit inside and try beers. So hopefully we get some good stuff. Uh, I'm excited to back up to upstate New York for a couple, at least one game this year. And maybe I'll get to whatever's coming out new up there. I, I, I miss my Serenat and my easily easy to find Southern Tier stuff. So a couple weeks and then I'll I'll head back up to Syracuse for the first time in a long time. So. Excited for that. By a long time, I mean like 10 months. I have not been in four and a half years, so you beat me. Yeah, I didn't get to go for basketball at all last year, which was unfortunate. I just didn't, couldn't make it happen for whatever reason, but I was up for a bunch of football games last year, so hopefully we'll get back on a, hopefully I can make it up for both this year. I have faith in you. I'm sure you will. Not too bad a trip. No. So I guess with the remaining time, it's just kind of focusing in on uh, a lot of this Maryland game. Um, well, in part, at least. I mean, there's always other things that come up. But for you, you know, what do you see? What do you see Brown being able to do against against Syracuse? What do you see Hunt being able to do against Maryland? Uh, front four since they don't really get the linebackers um, as involved in blitz. Um, I think both will have pretty good games on the ground. I think this one comes down to really whichever quarterback is able to, to lead a more balanced attack. I don't see either team being especially effective on containing uh, the quarterback, but that's also not something you can really base your entire game plan on um, because it's so much improvisation. Uh, so hopefully Hunt, Hunt probably, I mean, he's only had one full game, but he looked more effective probably throwing the ball than, than Brown has, even though Brown definitely has better receivers. Um, I only got to see pieces of the West Virginia game, so I don't know too much about how Maryland's defense looked, although, you know, West Virginia's a hard team to judge uh, based on that, unless, um, I know we've had success against, uh, against that team, but, I mean, they they look really good on offense this year, so it's not crazy that they put 40 points up on Maryland, but it's also a team that struggled with South Florida, who looks awful, um, so it, it's still a little early for me to, to really know what Maryland is on defense. Um, offensively, I don't love our corners matching up against Diggs and Long, but, again, I'm, I mean, we're probably not uh, any worse than South Florida back there, and they really haven't got it going, like as I said before. So hopefully the, the, we are able to disrupt uh, Brown enough to keep him from busting out any huge gains and also, uh, you know, not let him get into a rhythm with those two receivers. So that that would spell some, you know, that would mean a really bad. Uh, wouldn't be good for us if if Dids and Launder didn't going. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I know we usually try to avoid in college football playing the if X beat Y, then Y is better. And like and all that, but it definitely seems like it would be, you know, raising some red flags for Maryland fans. If you struggled with, with USF the way they did, and then and then USF got absolutely smoked by, by an NC State team that, that really isn't that good. Um, you know, if USF could hold that Maryland team to 24 points, if if West Virginia, despite not playing any defense, could beat Maryland. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that we're going to run away with this game by any means. I don't think we are. But it just seems to me like this Maryland team is everything you and I and a lot of other Syracuse fans have been saying for a while, that you know, this is a 6-6 six and six or so team that has a couple of talented skill players and looks like they're, they're on the upswing recruiting-wise, but they're not there yet. Let's stop pretending this team is going to win eight, nine games. Yeah, I'm looking now at NCUSF. Diggs caught seven passes, but he only had 50 yards. 
Long caught four for 42. Um, Marcus Leak, the third receiver, is the one who who uh, really broke out. He had he only had three catches, but he had 72 yards and two touchdowns. So I don't know if it was that USF just threw everything they had at Diggs and Long, and, and Leak burned them because of that. But you know, neither of those is a super impressive outing against a, a team that just you know, as we saw this weekend is not very good. USF gave up 49 points to NC State, who hadn't been able to get out of their own way on offense uh, so far, or on more on defense, but they haven't played any. They've been playing teams that just recently moved up to to FBS. They, their first two games were against Georgia Southern and Ole Miss. They're all Dominion, rather. Um, not Ole Miss. Ole Miss would have smoked North Carolina State. But uh, they just hadn't been playing well, and, and they then went out and dominated South Florida and put up 49 points on them, so I don't know. That That is a good sign for Syracuse, but it's it's really hard to make a determination based on one or two games against you know opponents that are still really early to judge. Right. So I guess, I mean, moving away from Maryland, because you know, I think we've done a good deal of talking about that game and plenty more on the site um, thus far. I mean, who's Talking nationally, who's the one team that you didn't expect to be a potential playoff contender, or at least top 25 team, um, that, that is suddenly hanging around and suddenly you're looking through their schedule and seeing 10, 11 wins? Um, it's A&M for me. Uh, I, I expected A&M to be like a 7 or 8 win team maybe. Um, I expected the defense to be pretty bad again, and it still might be but I didn't think that Kenny Hill would step in and just be this efficiency monster that he is, and I didn't know they would have three really good running backs and four or five really good receivers. So if the season ended today, I think A&M would be in the playoff for me, um, along with you know Oregon I think is, is definitely a lock, but that's not a surprise to anyone. So that's definitely the surprise team to me because I thought they'd be like at best a fringe top 25 team and like a third or fourth place finisher in the SEC West. And they looked as good as anyone. Yeah, I think, you know, where all of us kind of doubted A&M is just, oh, Manziel's gone, so there's obviously going to be a step back. But as college football proves time and time again, it doesn't always work that way. Um, I mean, a lot of SEC a lot of SEC teams replaced, um, you know, their quarterbacks this year. And you look at A&M replacing Manziel with Kenny Hill, you know, Sims comes in for uh, for AJ McCarron at Alabama, and he looks fine. And there were doubts about whether he was even better than Jacob Coker. Uh, I know Georgia had to replace Aaron Murray. LSU had to replace Zach Mettenberger. You know, and all these teams, for the most part, are fine. Like Georgia didn't lose that game because of quarterback play um, against South Carolina. I just think, you know, maybe there's and, and people have said this before. There's far too much stock being put into returning starters and and not enough stock being put into, okay, maybe the number's low, but who are those players? And, and you know, what type of intangibles they have, what type of skill sets they have. Are they a fit, a natural fit for what the offense does or what the coaching staff wants to do? Um, obviously, Kenny Hill w- was, a, was a great plug-in. We talked about Hill a couple weeks ago. You know, obviously a great plug-in for what Kevin, Kevin Sumlin wanted to do with that offense. But then you look at a guy like Blake Sims, um, you know, he didn't seem like a typical Nick Saban quarterback, but because of what Lane Kiffin uh, appears to be able to do with that Alabama offense, uh, he actually looks like a perfect fit. It seems like Kiffin just gets what, um, what Sims can and can't do and what that offense needs to do each and every Saturday. Yeah, it's. I think people just underestimated Kevin Sumlin a lot. Like, someone had a great track record before A&M, and it's easy to downplay the effect of the coach when you have a transcendent player like Manziel. But uh, someone, if anything, he's just, and he probably did, he didn't need to, but he's proved to anyone who doubted that he was, you know, a big part of the success that A&M's had since moving to the SEC. He's, he's a great coach, and, and that offense is, I mean, it legitimately looks better than it did with Manziel there, and, and a lot of that's because he's been recruiting like crazy. But um, it's it's really hard to see 
just based on what we've seen so far, I would not be shocked if they're if they go in and and beat an Alabama or an Auburn and and really make a run of things. Um, I they, they're st- they're definitely still uh, weak in the secondary from what I've seen, but um, Alabama, you know, they have Amari Cooper who's amazing and Blake Sims seems to be getting better, but they still haven't fully gotten things clicking on offense. Auburn's mostly a running team. Um, and Anm's front seven looks a lot better than they did last year, so I'm excited for the for the SEC West to really get into things because they've just been beating up on everyone else. Uh, I mean, we've seen the stats that have been out today; like the SEC West is just ridiculous, and it's you know there, very little of it I think is SEC bias. I think it, it's legit. I mean, when Mississippi State and Ole Miss might finish in the bottom half of the division, and Arkansas just went and blew out Texas Tech, um, and they're probably going to be the worst team in the division. I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah, I think that division, you know, I saw Bill C's uh, really great article on uh, on SB Nation uh, from Monday, which if you haven't read, everybody listening, I highly recommend it, um, followed by, I would then read uh, Ryan Manny's um, entertaining rebuttal for the SEC East on uh, on Every Day Should Be Saturday. Both are, both are highly, I mean, Highly entertaining reads for very different reasons, but uh, both are very much worth it. Um, I know you mentioned your kind of playoff teams that you're thinking right now. I think, oddly, at this point in the season, I felt like a lot of people would be a little more up in the air in terms of who they think is in. Um, And it's weird that I feel like everywhere I look, myself included, uh, it feels like Alabama, Oregon, Florida State are, you know, locks across the board. And then that fourth spot is usually going to Auburn, Baylor, A&M, um, or probably Oklahoma. So it is funny to me, like how you know, for for other sports and other things that we've we've always had the same conversations every season, and and so they shape our our conversations in the future. And for this, the playoff conversation is the first time we're all actually talking about it. So it's funny to me, in the first iteration of of this playoff buzz and conversation or projections each week, um, how things have, have fallen into a pretty uniform line very early. Yeah, it's interesting to see, I mean, as we've said with other things, like we just don't know how the playoff is going to, how the seeding is going to work out, because if it's like the AP poll or the college or the, or the coaches poll, the teams that are at the top to begin will have this big leg up, but if it's everyone starting even, I honestly, I mean, today, if, if if we're only judging based on what's happened this year, I don't think Alabama would be in my top four, and I don't definitely don't think Florida State would be in my top four. Um, obviously, Florida State has the edge of playing in the ACC, and if they go to undefeated, odds are they're going to be in. Um, Alabama doesn't quite have that, that – uh, Luxury because they play in, as we said, the most difficult division in the country. But based on what we've seen so far, I, I would say A and M and Auburn have been more impressive um, than those two. And then, you know, obviously, uh, Oregon has to be the number one right now. They have the best to win. They look pretty dominant. And uh, I'd probably say Oklahoma it would be in my top four there. Right. I mean, that's always the problem with college football. Um, and while basketball has some of this, football is just is much, much worse in that regard. It's just you're never really starting from scratch. Everybody knows the resumes. Everyone knows uh, the brands that are associated with all of this. Um, so no matter what the polls say, no matter what the committee says, I, I doubt anyone's really starting from a point zero. I mean, if we're, if we're really looking from scratch, I'm Oregon – I do have Florida State, but I have Florida State because I am really high on Oklahoma State. Um, I've got A&M and I've got Notre Dame, actually, uh, mostly on the backs on the back of what they did to Michigan. Not that Michigan's a good team, but I do feel like uh, you know that, that's, that's one of the I think more impressive wins we've seen in non-conference play, um, and then kind of hanging out right outside that group, LSU, which has a great win against. Wisconsin on neutral field, Alabama, Oklahoma, and then Auburn. You're just trying to pop up Notre Dame so our win in, in MetLife Stadium looks better. <laughs> well, if we win that game, we're top 20. And 
And I'm sticking to that story. If we win the next two, we will probably be ranked, which is amazing. Um, and way too early to start celebrating because we very well should lose both of those teams. But uh, we're, 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 we're coming up, Syracuse fans. We're at least scratching the surface of, you know, if we perform well, I don't think either of those two teams is unbeatable. Uh, especially, I mean, Notre Dame, obviously they'll dread against Michigan, but then they really didn't look good at all against Purdue, who's awful. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Maybe that well, we uh, had that whole uh, discussion a couple of weeks ago about the the road trip thing, and, and Notre Dame didn't have to travel too far to Indianapolis, neither did Purdue. But they, you know, maybe if that shut them out of their comfort zone, maybe a trip to New Jersey will really do it, um, and we can store a big win. It'd be nice to win one of these MetLife games one year. Yeah, considering how close we've come uh, to winning we, that game. We were in the USC game, and we very, very well sort of won the the Penn State game if we played a different quarterback or did a couple things differently. But uh, yeah, I mean Notre Dame would probably be the best team of the three, but you know this is a good chance for Syracuse to prove that uh, you know it's right up there with at least as good as that 2012 team was the 2012 Syracuse team, which. You know, really gave USC a good fight, and obviously USC didn't end up being what we thought it was. But um, that Syracuse team wasn't even like firing on all cylinders yet. They they hadn't really figured things out until a couple weeks later. So it's exciting. Uh, the the you know people complain about the neutral site games, but I think we always get excited for them once they come up. No, absolutely. Just because of the caliber of opponent that plays there. I think unfortunately though, it, it's a perfect time to bring up the fact if we're talking about ranking. And the last time we really received any votes was 2011 after we beat West Virginia. And then obviously things didn't go well from there. I would hate to have things kind of reach a peak, you know, right after week four um, in this season. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I mean, who knows? In alternate reality, that 2011 team at least makes a bowl, if not better. And another alternate reality, it serves as a building block for 2012 when we don't have the poor luck that we do when we go 10-3. and three. So I think if you wanted to rearrange our own seasons, obviously 2009, 2011, 2010, and then 2012, and suddenly that legacy looks a lot different. And suddenly St. Doug is not a, a joke. The Bills are looking all right. Bills have talent. I, I just, you know, if Manuel ever really puts it together, that could be a pretty good team because they have a lot of offensive players. And, I mean, they they have all the funds and alums in the NFL, but those guys are pretty yeah, good. Yeah, and they have, like, they have the entire ACC on the Bills pretty much. Yeah, hear that, funds and fans? We called your alums good. This wasn't a snide knock. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get hay mail about it anyway. We didn't say great. We said good. Just wait for the disrespect. Just wait for the hate mail. We disrespected C.J. Spiller by not calling him one of the top ten running backs in the league. Oh, well, he disrespected us by calling us scrubs. So. I can't believe we got not, not we. Thank God, Syracuse.com got another email today. From apparently a different person, or the same guy just using a different name, or that yesterday. Either are. Maybe both. Could have forgotten how to spell his name from the first few letters. That's very, very possible. <laughs> <laughs> and on that Clemson insult, uh, I guess we'll end it there. Unless, uh, unless you had any other parting thoughts about Maryland and Dan. No, I, I'm I'm interested to see how this goes. I think this will really tell us a lot about what this team is. Oh, absolutely. I think um, it'll tell us a lot about what this team is and what they can be, too, because, you know, this will be the second game that we're really looking at, fully functional offense with all everybody, and I think we're seeing a lot of pieces come back from injury, um, and, and it really gives us, uh, I think, a great uh, barometer about how we – how we can do against a team that should be on par with us. Yeah, definitely a good test at home. I'm glad this is a home game, too. 
But yeah, that's, uh, that's all from us. Uh, thanks everyone again for tuning into Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Uh, thank you as always, Dan, for joining today. Thank you for having me, as always. Yeah. And uh, this is a final reminder, everyone. We are sponsored by Audible.com. So if you want a uh, free audiobook, you can go to audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. Um, so yeah, beyond that, thanks for uh, listening in. Thanks for checking out the post, all the articles online this week. We have plenty going on on the site uh, as we get ready for the Maryland game. So uh, stay tuned for that. And if you want, you can uh, subscribe to us on Blog Talk Radio as well as iTunes. Rate, subscribe, the whole deal. Uh, we'll be eternally grateful. And uh, go Orange this weekend. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Candley Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.